Well, you guys ready to get in the word a little bit today? You know, I'll tell you, I've been a little stirred. This next series, it's been exploding in me to talk about the rapture of the church. And so, you know, we're going to do that. We're not going to do it today, but but next time we come together on a Sunday, we'll do that. I want to build in you all these end time events, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to understand them. Because there are many things in the Gospels that people are translating wrong and they're thinking it's talking about the rapture when it's talking about the second coming and all this stuff. And we want to make it very clear and the whole series will do this. We preach these things to comfort you. Guys, we're so close to this that you are about to see your king. It just burns in me. I just, I think about it all the time. I want to be prepared to see my king. Do you know, the church is not going through the tribulation period. So be comforted by that. Oh, it might get a little crazy down here before we leave, but it's going to get real crazy after we leave. But I'm telling you, you know, what, what happens in a two-minute two drill? See, when, when you get down to a two-minute drill, what do you do? You're very, in sports, you're very conscious of the clock. I mean, you're, 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 you're dribbling the ball down the court, and you're looking at that clock, and you've got a plan in place to do what? To score very quickly. And that's the way you need to be living. You need to be thinking, listen, God's will is that I yield all of my fruit in my season. This is a time of acceleration. Man, you should be so motivated that when we don't have church, you just drive down here and park and just pray. Because you just, you're like, I'm about my father's business. When you go into a restaurant, when you go to the store, when you get gas, when you're at work with all these people that you know, listen, we are very close Everybody that you know that does not know the Lord will go through a time that that is called Jacob's wrath. It's horrible. I mean, has the last year been fun? This is like Disneyland. This is like the ride at Disneyland. It's a wonderful life. You're sitting in a boat. That's compared to the tribulation period. I don't want anybody to go through there, let alone people that'll be swept off the earth in some of these plagues and die and be lost forever. I don't know about you. This is the closest thing to hell that I will ever experience. And I'm so glad about that. Because down here, man, you know what? I got authority over hell. But I wouldn't want to be in hell where you have no authority. So we need to be about our father's business. You know, how close are we? Gosh, I'm getting off. It's hard to stop this now. So just to, just to give you a little idea, it's amazing in Paul's or in Peter's letter, Peter talked about this ancient rabbinical teaching that, that if you look at God's calendar, it's on a seven, it's like on a week calendar. So like Daniel's, 70 70 week prophecy that's 70 weeks of years 
the, the Hebrew calendar, it's on a seven-year cycle. And then he says this, and, and he says it like, this is elementary, this is kindergarten, everybody should know this. A day with the Lord, one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. And we'll get into that more in this study. Invite your friends, because nobody knows about this end time stuff. And, and what does that mean? God says, I'm going to deal with man for seven days or 7,000 years. So if you look at how precise, I mean, we know the last thousand years, the last day will be the millennial reign of Christ. So what that is, is, you know, the, the church is taken out of the earth. Then there's this Ezekiel 38 and 39 conflict in the Middle East. It's a war that lasts one day. And then a world leader arises. He's called the Antichrist. See, the church has got to be gone because you're not going to have the Christ and the Antichrist at the same time. Now, people will still be able to get saved, right? But, but literally, that conflict happens and a leader arises. There's a seven-year peace treaty that is made. And it starts this seven-year period of time. The last three and a half years of which are called the Great Tribulation. But then at the end of the tribulation period, now what are we doing? We're in heaven. We stand before the Lord at an awards ceremony. We call it the judgment seat of Christ. We, we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're up there partying. It gets so intense on the earth that even heaven. Could you imagine getting all these Christians together and for 30 minutes nobody says anything? That's a miracle. I mean, if I ever didn't talk for 30 minutes... My wife, my daughter would be like, are you, know, are you okay? What's, what's going on, right? But it's going to get so intense. But then we're going to come back with Jesus and Jesus is going to set up his kingdom on this earth for that last thousand years before we go into eternity. But what about the other 6,000? I mean, this is how precise. Daniel's 70th week, I think, I, I don't say the guy's name right, but anyway, I think it's Artaxerxes, when he said, from the time he tells and commissions Jerusalem to be rebuilt, right, until the time the 69 weeks is over, if you take, if you take the time, I think it was like 450-something B.C. is when he commissioned it to be rebuilt, you go 69 years, or 69 weeks of years, 69 times 7, I think it's like 483 years. If you take 450-something B.C. plus 483 years, you are at A.D. 27. This is how specific the Word of God is. Well, what happened there? What happened there is Jesus is walking to get baptized, and John's saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Holy Spirit comes upon him in the fullness. He starts his earthly ministry in A.D. 27. Well, we know for sure that Jesus lived on this earth in ministry for three Passovers. And he was crucified on Passover in A.D. 30. So if you take two more days from A.D. 30... That puts you at 2030. 
and then you subtract a seven-year tribulation period, you're at 2023. Now, could we be off a few years? Maybe. I don't know. But doesn't it? I mean, do you realize what we've seen in our lifetime? We've seen things that nobody's ever seen before. Do you know no nation has ever been a nation, destroyed, and then came back and was a nation again? Except Israel. And you saw it in your lifetime. And it was exactly how the Bible said it would be. They became a nation in one day. Jerusalem taken back. No language that has been done away with. The Hebrew language was done away with. Now everybody speaks Hebrew. First time in history, you saw it in your lifetime. We can go over and over and over. This desert land of Israel, now it was prophesied that it would produce. The minute they became a nation, now they produce like 90% or something of all the fruits and vegetables for Europe. The desert blossoms, supernatural. All these things are happening. And, and so, so then you start to go, okay, well, the parable of the fig tree. 1948, the parable, the fig tree budded. Israel became a nation. 1967, supernaturally, Jerusalem was taken back in control of the Jews. The parable of the sower, or the parable of the fig tree says, this generation that saw this, so anybody who's alive on the earth in 1948 is going to see everything be fulfilled. That's second coming. That's after the tribulation. Well, if Psalm 90.10 is the closest thing that we have to what a generation is, and it kind of falls just in line with exactly what the mortality rate is right now, 70 to 80 years. Well, if you go 80 years... 1948 plus 80 years is 2028. Then you subtract seven years of a tribulation period. You're at what? 2021. We can go into these feast days. See, see and you think, and, and see, this is the thing. You, you preach this stuff. And people go, oh, they've been saying for years. Well, of course they would. Do you know Jesus said, listen, this temple is going to be destroyed in Jerusalem. Not one stone will be laid upon another. Right? Paul, talking to the church at Thessalonica, he, he's there for three months. And he, he talked to them, he must have talked to them so much about the coming of the Lord because when he talks about the rapture, he's saying, you know, I don't really have any need to write to you about this because he talked so much. And he was only there three months. But if you look at it, we, we sit here and go, well, you know, they've been saying he's coming back forever. Well, of course they would. Think of the early church, how crazy that would have been. Jesus prophesies, listen, this temple that you see in Jerusalem, it will be torn down. Not one stone will be upon another. So then you have Paul, all of his writings, Peter, all of his writings about the end times and all this stuff. And guess what happened? They died around 64 AD. See, when, when Paul and when Peter died, that temple was still standing. Could you imagine when that temple was destroyed? People would have been going, oh my gosh, Jesus is coming back. I mean, that's why. But guys, right now, 
listen, this puzzle is almost all complete. And I want to, you know, we're going to talk about this. We're going to get into it. We are, when I say we're close, we're close. You're close to seeing your king. So be comforted because he will keep you until you hear that trump of God. We're getting ready to see our king, guys. This is why it's so important. I mean, as I'm even saying this, I can sense the hunger inside of you. Do you know, you don't have to have much spiritual maturity to know you're living at the end of this age. Jesus is coming very, very soon. You're about to see your king, and he's going to keep you until you do. Nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. You're safe. Amen? Amen. That's kind of like a preview. So now let's get into this whole thing about how that God wants to keep you. Amen? Go to Psalm 55. Psalm 55, 22. You've, you've probably never heard of this until last Sunday, right? Look at this. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and what will he do? He'll sustain you. Why? He'll never suffer the righteous to be moved. What's a burden? Anything that's weighing you down, anything you're worried about, anything that hinders you in any way, you roll that over on him. I mean, the minute it hits you, right? We did that. You saw me Wednesday night. I was throwing cards all over here, right? Something hits you. Here, you know, I'll do this. So I'm going through my day and all of a sudden I get this thought, what am I going to do financially? I just got hit with this and that thought hits me. I take it. It is written. He meets all of my needs and I give it to the Lord. I don't carry it, right? Then I'm walking and all of a sudden I have some symptoms going on or some pain, right? I walk and I step in my hip or my knee all of a sudden, or, or man in my kidney or just something, and I'm like, and the thought hits me, oh boy, this is, not, this, is, this is not good. What comes out of my spirit? It is written. By his stripes, I'm healed. Here you go, Jesus. I don't carry that. I'm not made to carry it, right? All of a sudden, I start getting concerned about maybe my kids or this, or, or I'm concerned, oh my gosh, what if this bill passes? And what if, what if all of a sudden it's illegal? And what if they make me do this? Or no, you take that. Hey, Jesus, here you go. I don't carry anything. I cast my burden upon the Lord. And the Bible says he'll sustain me. He'll feed me. He'll nourish me. He'll provide me. Provide for me. He'll keep me. That's what that word sustain means. And then it says this. He never Allows That word suffer means allow. He will never allow the righteous to be moved. If you'll cast your burden upon him, he will never allow you to be moved. So then we said this last week. We're talking about how that we are kept through faith. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll start in verse 3. Kind of recapping, 1 Peter 1, 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Aren't you excited? Jesus took your place and now you're born again. But listen, it says here, he's begotten us again unto a lively hope. Not only born again, but what does that mean? To an inheritance that is what? Incorruptible. That means it can't be destroyed. Undefiled. It can't be contaminated. And that fades not away. Your inheritance does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. Well, who are you? This is what I want you to see. Who are you? You are ones who are kept by the power of God. However, through faith unto salvation. In other words, listen, God has provided. He wants to keep you, but you have to believe that. You have to believe that the pestilence is not going to get me. Right? You have to believe that, that Jesus bore your sickness and carried your pain. You must believe that he's your provider. Because you're kept through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow, isn't that awesome? God's power protects you through faith. So it says in Psalm 91, verse 1, Remember last week we went through about that whole psalm. Actually, I think we went through, went through the whole psalm. It says in verse 1, Psalm 91.1, He that dwelleth, that means to abide continually in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So this is what this looks like. Sarah, can I use you as an example? So this umbrella is literally going to be representative if I could open it. How do these things work? There we go. So let's say this is the shadow of the Almighty. Now, if Sarah, right now she's in, under the shadow of the Almighty. It's, she's shadowed. And if her eyes are open, she's aware of that. But what if her eyes are shut? She could still be under the shadow, but she would not even perceive it because her eyes are shut. In other words, she's blinded to it. Do you see that? I want you to see that we are, we are I mean, you're in the presence of God, but you want his presence manifesting in your life. So God wants your eyes open, your spiritual eyes open, so that you know that you're under the shadow. Because here's the thing, thank you, sweetheart. Because if you don't know you're under the shadow, the enemy could get you a little freaked out. And there's a lot of Christians that their eyes are closed to what the word of God says, so they're not in faith so although God loves them and wants to keep them, he can't violate their will. And they get all afraid. They feel like they're alone when they're under the shadow, but their eyes are closed. Does that make sense? But look at this person who's abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. This person, it says this, I will say of the Lord, 
He is my refuge. He is my fortress. He is my God. And in him will I put all of my trust. See, when your eyes are open and you know these things, that's what you'll say. Hebrews 10, 23, remember that verse, right? I'll hold fast to the profession of my faith without wavering because I know he is faithful who promised. He's my refuge. He's my fortress. He's my God. And in him, I will trust. That's where I live. I don't live anywhere else. There's no other option. My eye is single. My eye is single in the area that I'll never face anything that's bigger than who's on the inside of me. I abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He's my God. He's my inaccessible place of refuge. He keeps me. Say that, my God keeps me. Isn't that good? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is so important. So we're kept through faith. We got to know this. So that what faith, right? Mark 11, 23, part of the operation of faith. What is that? Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, say, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. Here's faith. He'll have whatever he says. So I hold fast to what God says. Because what am I saying? I am saying what he says. And if I'll say what he says, I will have what I say. We have to know that. The difference is faith. What is faith? Really, at its purest form, faith is just, it's it's you trust him. You're fully persuaded that if he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll bring it to pass. You don't have to know how. You don't have to know the time frame. See, for us as New Testament believers, here is the time frame. Let me put your mind completely at ease. If you have symptoms in your body, let me tell you the time frame of your healing. You were healed almost 2,000 years ago. Now, when will you actually see that manifestation in your body? You're closer than you've ever been. Because it's working in you right now. Faith is giving substance to that thing that you're expecting. Well, why are you expecting it? Because God said... Right? If I ask anything according to his will, I know he hears me. And if I know he hears me, I know that I already have the petitions. Why? Because I'm in Christ and all of the promises of God are in Christ, yes, and in Christ, so be it unto me. This whole nonsense of, well, you know, you just never know what God's going to do because his ways are higher than our ways. Notice I'm quoting scripture. But you got to keep quoting all of it. Right? Because, see, the Bible tells me his spirit reveals his ways to me. It says things like this, that God put his spirit in me so that I would know the things that he freely gave me. I'm to know. 
See, I'm telling you, in these days, you got to be careful what you're hearing. You got to be careful who you're hearing and you got to be careful how you're hearing. You have to hear everything through the filter of the word. You need to have your close circle of friends to be people of faith. You don't have time to hear this nonsense. God heals some and not others. God provides for some and not others. That's just ridiculous. He's no respecter of persons. Jesus didn't, he didn't die for some people. He died for everybody. It's amazing how he died for everybody, knowing that most of them would not receive him. But he loves people so much, he still paid for all of their sins. It's going to be so sad when people who don't know God stand before the white throne judgment of God and they will be judged for their sins, not us, because our sins are gone. And I'm telling you, all of them, it doesn't say this is a time of arguing. Because every one of them, what's the worst thing about hell? The worst thing about hell is you're separated from God. The worst thing about hell is everybody there will know that they didn't have to be there. That God didn't even send them there. That they chose to go because they chose not to glorify God as God. They weren't thankful and they wanted to live their own life in this little vapor that we call this life on earth. And they traded eternity for it. It's crazy. It's crazy. But not us. So trusting in God is a result of knowing him. That you got to know this. Everything God does is so that you'll know him. Why? So that you'll trust him. Right? You start off depending on God. You start off depending on God. You don't depend on God just because everything else failed. Oh man, everything else failed, then you run to God. Now, if that's where you are today, hey, he's more than enough. But I'm telling you, it's better to just start off. Be single. All of my trust is in him. My whole life is in his hands. If he doesn't give it to me, I don't want it. I don't want to go anywhere where he's not at. I'm his, right? I love that. I'm his. But I say that because he already said he's mine. I love him because he first loved me. Right? My beloved is mine and I am his. This is the way it works. I want to teach you today really, really what we're talking about. I want to teach you how to cultivate trust in the Lord. Because he's a sure foundation. So in Daniel chapter 11, in verse 32, I love Daniel because this gives us a great picture. Daniel chapter 11 in verse 32 is powerful. It says, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Notice being strong and doing exploits is a result of knowing God. Because we walk by faith. We walk by this 
complete trust that if he said it, it's mine. If he said it, he'll do it, right? So this Hebrew, this Hebrew verb, no, you know, we went over this before, but it's the Hebrew verb yada. It means to know. It means to perceive. It means to learn. It means to discern. It literally means, this verb yada means to confess and to experience. It's a verb. It's an action. They that do know. In other words, as I walk through my life, believing the word of God in my heart and speaking it, yadaing it out of my mouth, I see things and I know things. And what is it all? I know him. And when you know him, you'll trust him. This is the way it works. It says they that know. See, this word literally it, it literally, the Hebrew word, this verb, gives you a picture of someone that you know so intimately that things are being conceived in you and birthed out of you. Right? It talks about, it's, it's literally giving us a picture of intimacy between a man and a wife. That we know each other so intimately that things are being conceived and birthed. I know God so intimately because I walk with him. I never let his word depart out of my mouth. I'm a doer of his word. And now the result of that is I'm knowing him. I'm perceiving things about him. I'm learning things about him. And what it does is it builds my trust. And now I'm strong. This, this Hebrew word strong means courageous enough to seize hold of things. To seize hold of what? The promises of God. As I walk through this world with a pandemic, with a virus, I can walk through this world seizing hold of the fact that a thousand may fall at my side, 10,000 at my right hand, but it will not come near me. No plague is going to come near my dwelling. Right? That's, that's the way we have to walk. So this is how we live. You'll be strong. You'll be courageous enough to grab hold of Psalm 91. Now listen, if you got a virus, then you thank God that you came through it. But you declare that I'll never get it again. It will not come near my dwelling. Satan will ask you why that happened. Satan, I don't have time. Jesus is coming. All I know is it's not coming back. I had a bout of cancer. Well, guess what? It's not coming back. You need to say that. Right? By his stripes, I am healed. Don't look at past past things that you might have messed up on or missed or whatever. He'll get you so into the how. He's setting you up for a future defeat. Just don't believe him. Forgetting those things that are behind you, press forward. I don't fear. Why? Because all of my trust is in the Lord. You'll be strong and you'll do exploits. That means that you will do things that are beyond your natural ability to do them. Wow. You'll do exploits. I love that. This word strong 
is so important. It's the Hebrew verb hazak. It means to be strong, to be courageous, to overpower, and to fasten upon. You're going to have to be strong and courageous, and you're going to have to overpower thoughts of the enemy to grab hold of the word of God and keep it in your heart and keep it coming out of your mouth. You're strong and do exploits. You know the word exploits was added by the translators. And, and that's, a great, that's just a great addition to bring clarity to the, to the text. But in the Hebrew language, they that know their God will be strong and do. That's what it says. And do. This word do, though, it's a Hebrew word that means to do things beyond your natural ability. So we need to rightly divide that. We don't try. We're Christians. We're, we don't try. I'm not going to try to yield all of my fruit in my season. No, there's, no I'm single. Single-minded. No, I'm going to yield all my fruit in my season. My leaf will not wither. Nope, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not going to ever wither. Everything's going to be fresh. Psalm, I'm, I'm quoting Psalm 1-3. Everything I put my hand to will be brought by my Father, by the Lord Jesus, by the mighty Holy Spirit, will be brought to maturity. How? Don't care. But it's just going to happen. That, that, there, that's, there's no other option. Satan, I, I don't listen to you. I give you no place. I don't have options in my life. It's I, all of my trust is in the Lord. I trust him and him only. And in that, I'm single. Like Wednesday night, we're talking about Thanksgiving. I'm, if your eye, the Bible says, is single, if it's clear, it'll bring light into your whole life. My eye is clear that I thank God in everything. I'm always just thankful. Right? Wednesday night. Because there's no place between thankful and unthankful. If you're not thankful, you're unthankful. And the enemy's going to steal from you. So I, I just live my life like that. I don't, I don't have faith events. I live and I walk by faith. I don't have times where I choose to get in the word. No, I live in the word. Though I never let it depart out of my mouth. I give it my undivided attention. You know what's really cool is you can give it your undivided attention while you're doing 900 other things. But it's always there. But the moment he pulls me, I'm going. Why? Because I seek first the kingdom. I seek first his righteousness. He's my life. He's my everything. I, you can't separate me from him. The Bible says I'm one spirit with him. Me, Tony. I was made righteous just by believing it. Isn't that amazing? See, don't make your walk all about you. No, no, it's all about Jesus. There's a teaching out there that, oh man, the rapture of the church, you know. Those that are looking will go. But those that are not, what does that mean? Your inheritance is incorruptible. You can't mess that up. If Jesus is your Lord today, and you're just living in your flesh, guess what? You're going to go in the rapture, but you're not going to be real happy when you see Jesus. You're going to be like, you're going to be happier there. Oh, 
I am really happy I'm there. And that'll probably supersede the fact that you lived your whole life and missed God's plan for your life. But the Bible says, don't be as those that shrink back. But don't think you're not going to go. If you're his child, you're going to go. Because see, I'm not kept by my works. I'm not kept by my own righteousness. Well, we're going to get into that when we talk about the rapture. It'll, be, it'll excite you. We might have some people running for the first time in this very proper charismatic church. I'm hoping before Jesus comes back that literally, literally, there's going to be babies crying, people yelling, people, I'll be preaching, somebody almost knock me down. They'll just get so excited, they'll just be running. And, and we'll sit there and go, gosh, remember the day when we were that really proper word of faith stream church where we just, you know, we were just, be sitting next to, Martha, remember, remember how I used to just get all upset Man, I'm getting so much more and everybody's yelling and screaming. I don't even know what he's talking about. I got to listen to it a second time when I go home. Yes, it's better the second time. Talk to my mother-in-law. Second service is better than the first service. That's what she says almost every time. See, I always blame it on you. I'm like, well, no, that's just because the people got more rest. No, I don't know what it is. I like them both, right? See, this Daniel, this Daniel statement, man, it's already 1030. Oh my gosh, I haven't even got started. <laughs> the natural mind, when I talk about Daniel, the natural mind has very much difficulty understanding intimacy, this depth of personal intimacy with the Lord. It's like, it's like your mind is going and your flesh is going, Pastor, I'm a guy. And what, you're talking to me about things being conceived and birthed. and uh, Your mind has, a, has trouble with that. But God, he's all about intimacy. Don't let the world mess up your mind about intimacy. Man, I'm telling you, the intimacy that God's talking about is amazing. And, and so what, the reason why I'm saying this is you have to renew your mind to this. Strength and exploits are God's standard. Trusting God, in other words, it's based on knowledge. What do you mean by that? See, as you grow to know him, you will start to view your life from his perspective. You'll look at the battle that's in front of you from his perspective. See, this is why David, when he faced Goliath, when he faced a lion, and when he faced a bear, he didn't face it from David's perspective. He faced it, I have a covenant with God. He faced it, he didn't compare the lion or the bear or Goliath to him. He compared them to God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego compared a fiery furnace to God. So this is why as you get to know God, you'll view, boy, this is where we're going to end today. If you don't leave with anything else, get this. As you grow in the word of God, 
as Christ is formed in you, you will view things, everything in your life from God's perspective. It'll, it'll change everything about your life. You'll get an eternal perspective, a kingdom perspective, and it all is under the context of a God perspective. Everything in your life, don't compare it to you, right? Because it'll probably be bigger than you. But who are you? You're one with him, and nothing's bigger than him. Amen?